Well, sounds good. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! I got things to tell you. What happened? I'm engaged. Congratulations. Who's the lucky girl? I am. What? Osgood proposed to me. We're planning a June wedding. What are you talking about? You can't marry Osgood. You think he's too old for me? Jerry, you can't be serious. Why not? He keeps marrying girls all the time. I am. But you're not a girl, you're a guy. And why would a guy want to marry a guy? Security. Jerry, you better lie down. You're not well. Will you stop treating me like a child? I'm not stupid. I know there's a problem. I'll say there is. His mother. We need her approval. But I'm not worried because I don't smoke. Jerry. There's another problem. Like, what are you going to do on your honeymoon? We've been discussing that. He wants to go to the Riviera, but I kind of lean towards Niagara Falls. Jerry, you're out of your mind. How are you going to get away with this? I don't expect it to last, Joe. I'll tell him the truth when the time comes. Like when? Like right after the ceremony. Oh. Then we get a quick annulment, he makes a nice settlement on me, and I keep getting those alimony checks every month. Jerry, 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 listen to me. Listen to me. There are laws, conventions. It's just not being done. Shh, Joe. This may be my last chance to marry a millionaire. Jerry, Jerry, will you take my advice? Forget about the whole thing, will you? Just keep telling yourself you're a boy. You're a boy. I'm a boy. That's the boy. Oh, I'm a boy. I'm a, I'm a boy. I'm a, I wish I were dead. I'm a boy. I'm a boy. Oh, boy, am I a boy. Now, what am I going to do about my engagement present? What engagement present? Osgood gave me a bracelet. Hey, these are real diamonds. Of course they're real. What do you think? My fiancé is a bum? But I think um, uh, with Paul Dano, the reason that I've always liked him is because the first couple of films I saw him... Prisoners? He, there will be blood, probably. He's, yeah. he's supposed to be... He's supposed to make you sort of, like, squirm. Well, it's, it's, well like we said, it's the art of a good actor if he's playing yeah. a, a nasty character. Oh, he's so fucking slippery. But Do you know I, who meant Paul Dano? No. Trying to think what you. I mean, yeah. Dano. 
<laughs> oh, someone was talking about that, saying like, "How lucky is the cunt who made that?" That you know the people who make jingles. Yeah. <laughs> saying, there's there's some cunt walking about who's probably a millionaire who literally just went into the office and said, "Yeah, I've got your jingle. What is it?" Mm, Dannon. <laughs> like and they just they gave him thousands of pounds and that. But <laughs> talk about landing on your feet. What's the jingle again? I forgot it. Mm, Dannon. <laughs> But like he literally forgot he had that meeting that morning, didn't he? He's sitting in, he's sitting in the back of the cab thinking, what am I going to fucking do? I haven't got anything. Mm, Dannon. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Stinking Paws podcast. 10th anniversary year, chaps. Hello. <gasps> that was sort of exciting for Paul on the lad. Charlie didn't even blink. <laughs> Charlie, we haven't seen you for ages. Elusive. Yeah, the, the illusion, shadow, the shadow, <laughs> shadow. <laughs> yeah. How you been, mate? Not too bad, thank you. Excellent. It's the tenth anniversary now, Charlie. This whole thing started ten years ago. That's incredible. With me and you, when the podcast game wasn't quite as yeah. prominent. Wow, well, podcasts were pretty new still then. I think they? they were. They they'd been around for a while, but they weren't mm. a. There wasn't this kind of. DIY no. kind of culture of it quite yet. So people not some pioneers, mm. but you know. No, no, we're not claiming to be the first. That's that's certainly not the case. But we were there, mate, and we just how did it start? It was the conversation about the Godfather and Pulp Fiction, wasn't Basically, it? Basically, I think the first film we ended up talking about, we was in the office in our job many moons ago, many moons where ago. all three of us met. Mm. Um, we were in the same department, weren't we? So Yeah, um, we worked together pretty quickly. So I did know Paul quite well, but obviously I've got to know you more quickly. Mm. And I think we were talking about No Country for Old Men once. Right. And then we got on to talking about like Mark Kermode and, and Simon mm-hmm. Mayo, because yep. they was that was and well, it's the not old, going it now, the is it? One. But uh, yeah, it was the main kind of that was the daddy, weren't it, yeah. of the film podcast game. I just had this dream, didn't I, of doing one. I just wanted to do a podcast. Yeah, and I, and I couldn't find anybody that I could talk to about movies. And, and Charlie came along, and you had this interesting class. You, you were on this journey of discovery, wasn't it? That's how we sort of describe it now. Sort of it? like a dip me toe into 70s kind of films. And yeah. all, all my favourite films happened to be from that era, so it would have been like... Godfather, only uh, only falls and horses. Yeah, they started the seventies. Uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, um, the Deer Hunter, Apocalypse Now, Taxi Driver. I'd seen all those kind of big hitters, but I thought, what else is there out there? And you were kind of the, I just, you were the guru. I was the guru, was I? I was the guru. Metal guru. Metal guru. Yes, and and I just thought, brilliant, perfect opportunity to start a podcast, and. We didn't do it specifically as the Educating Charlie podcast, but it sort of became that, didn't it? it was uh, by like, virtue of you having such a huge knowledge of all cinema, really, because you sort of said to me that you love 70s cinema and you love classic films, but yeah. you were more golden age. I, I think, was golden age of Hollywood, your... yeah. And can you remember when we first started? It was like you chose a film, I would choose a film. We had an anniversary movie as well at the time. That's yeah. That. So we'd review three movies at a time and and I think eventually we sort of realised that the anniversary review was not that great an idea because so many people will discover episodes of podcasts a long way down the line 
so it's like by the time they might have listened to us doing an anniversary review of Apocalypse Now, it, was it might have been two years after yeah. we actually recorded it. So that's what I'm yeah. finding now because they're all available on Spotify and things like that. I I also you- think that the way you started the podcast was better than others at the time because a lot of the podcasts were on recent movies on what came yeah. up that year yeah. and there was like you could get a hundred different podcasts reviewing what was out of the cinema at that moment in time and I think the big film podcasts still are like uh, yeah. film junk and, and yeah, cool, those yeah. sorts yeah. of and there's, there's a place for them obviously oh obviously know, yeah because yeah. if, if you listen to a podcast on something you want to go and see and it slates it it'll put you off or yeah. if it says it's great it'll just encourage you to go see it more which is yeah. brilliant for the industry but Stinking Paws, the way you set it up, was the first rule of Stinking Paws. Not talk about, <laughs> talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> was yeah. the fact that films had to be at least 10 years old. Oh, we had that, didn't I we? Forgot that. Yeah. I forgot was that. Was it 10 or 20? It was 10. Was it 10? 10, But yeah. it's actually mad to think that... Mm. Now this has been going for ten years. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, 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 can actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. we should pick the movie that started, that was out when well, you started. Well, it would have been okay. June, June twenty thirteen. So Ooh. we're talking. Oh, we're talking. I'm not even going to hazard a guess, mate. I'm not even. Would have been that long after things like Wolf of Wall Street. It's got to be about then. But obviously, June's a bit of a. Well, it's blockbuster time. It's blockbusters. Time, it? It's well, it's all blockbuster time now because mm. every film's got to have a fucking superhero. <laughs> um, but yeah, you've missed that kind of that Paul's wedge of right. classic, well, like potential yeah. classic M- films. Movies yeah. released June twenty thirteen. Yeah, go on, mate. White House Down. Excellent. <sighs> now you see me, which was actually quite a good film. It's all right. Um, the Heat. Oh Jesus! Is that Melissa McCarthy? Yeah. After yeah. Earth. Don't ever watch that if you haven't seen is it. Is that Will Smith? That uh, is Will Saw Smith it. and his yeah. son. Uh, Lone Ranger. Is it daughter now? I don't know. Is it? Is... The Purge. Okay. Um, Great Gatsby. Oh, okay, I went to the cinema to see that. Yeah. We spoke about it. Yeah. Man <laughs> of Steel. Superman. I went to the cinema to see that. I really feel like they should have used that one for when Christopher Reeve was playing Superman. Stop, <laughs> stop. my Shant. hero. Sean. My hero. Your Pain hero. and your, gain. With your, your, your hero terrible. can't ride a horse, mate. <laughs> World War Z. I saw that at the cinema. That was based on a novel, wasn't it? It that was, was Tom yeah, Cruise. Yeah. Tom Cruise's novel. This is the end. No, uh, uh, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt, sorry. Yeah. Fast and Furious 6. Iron Man 3. G.I. Joe Retaliation. So this was literally what was in the cinema when we started our first record. No wonder we picked classic movies, Charlie, yeah. rather yeah. than current. Rather we, did say it's that, we did say it's that time of year, you know, all your, all your kind of critically acclaimed standard test of time films come out between like November and February, didn't they? Has anything out of that list stood the test of time that Paul's uh, just rattled off um, what was no. the uh, Great Gatsby was just okay to me, but I'm not yeah. a Baz Luhrmann fan. I'll be honest, yeah, I'm not a fan of his style. No, but people aren't talking about it. And also, the Great Gatsby, I think, is somewhat of an unfilmable novel because mm-hmm. it all comes from Nick Carraway's perspective. So, yeah, it's 
it, it had that kind of, if you like Baz Luhrmann you'll have liked it because it had that kitsch kind yeah. of I sang to Scott I think last week a week before I've never seen a Baz Luhrmann film really? I look down his list of films and I've never watched Strictly one Strictly Paul Room is nope. that him? Yuri All's Wedding? Nope Romeo and Juliet no, not Moulin seen Rouge. one I'm not a massive fan I've seen I, I've heard it. his song <laughs> I sunscreen. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I heard the Elvis uh, biopic was all right. This is what's put me off because I've I've had some bad experiences watching bad Baz Luhrmann movies, mm. and they are visually spectacular. Moulin Rouge, bang! But it's it's too much for me. It's it's, it's yeah. A bit, for me, it's a bit overblown. With the Elvis movie, for me, as much I love it. You know, I like Elvis and all. And to watch a Baz Luhrmann version of the Elvis story with yeah. Tom Hanks, who I also love, but looking at the trailer and the clips that I've seen, it's I'm, I'm just thinking, nah, that ain't that's for me. That's that what ain't I for me. It. People have told me it's good, but I think like Elvis is a man of many kind of. Faces and personas, mm. and my worry was that if Baz Luhrmann's handling that story, it's just going to focus on the more kind of kitsch, kind of yeah. uh, blobbing sequins, Vegas era, yeah. as opposed to like. Well, one of my mates said that the first hour is bollocks, but the second hour is really good. Okay. Um, and I, do you want to watch a film like that? Do you want to? Are you going to watch through the first hour <laughs> before you turn off? <laughs> yeah, I mean, waiting for it to get good. It's um, subjective, isn't it? Like you might watch it and not feel that way, but I, I, I don't like to kind of just dismiss a film based on who the director is. Mm. But for me, there's more than a handful of people that I would have rather have been responsible yeah. for the Elvis story. Yeah. And I'm not a big Elvis fan as it is. No, no, I see differences, obviously, us being an older age. Sure. Some more <laughs> so. You agreed um, so readily there, Charles. <laughs> I mean, I remember having, like, only a few records to choose from to put on. Got you. And it was either Cliff Richard or Elvis mm-hmm. or Beatles. And, like, I used G.I. Blue album was really good. It's not that I hate all his music, but I just think... I, I never grew up in an Elvis household. But then we had, at the weekend, you'd have Elvis films on, BBC Two at the oh, weekend. Oh, they were permanently on a fucking Saturday yeah. afternoon. Never seen like, an Elvis film? Oh, you've not... Blue you Hawaii. Lived, anything. No, no, you haven't lived. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Blue Hawaii, yeah, G.I. Blues. No, I, I, um, I, I do like uh, them, sorry. Kissing Cousins mm-hmm. and... Yeah, G.I. Yeah. Blue, Blue Hawaii, yeah. Viva Las Vegas, yeah. And, yeah... They weren't terrible, but it was they were just... making a sake of art. They were, yeah. they were a promotional. No, it story. was just purely promoting an album or a single. It's, or it's a weird phase in his career because obviously he was the first rock and roll star, and then had to go into the army. Yeah, was he drafted? He was, like, yeah, he was drafted yes. into the army, and then when he came out, Colonel Tom Parker thought. Right, let's capitalise on this. We've yes. got a Hollywood career rather than a pop career. So the, the career was based on the movies rather than the music, and the music came from the movies. So we was talk- I was talking with Morris mm. a couple of months ago when we were talking about the Pete Townsend album, White City, and yeah. there, was a, there was like a supplementary short film with it, mm. and it was kind of based on that thing that Prince used to do where, like... The film didn't inform the music, and the music didn't inform the film. Yeah, it was all just part of one big promotional 
package to yeah. elevate the profile of the artist that it was about. And yeah. uh, that's sort of gone now. I think the last time that really happened probably would have been like the Spice Girls. No, it doesn't happen, does it? The music industry's changed too much. Yeah, and, and this is what happened with Elvis, was that Colonel Tom Parker said, right, we can just... If we make a movie, we can release an album from the movie, and from the album we can release six or seven the, singles. Yeah. Doing the work for us, almost. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, it It went on from there. If you go Elvis over here, you'd go Cliff Richard, and then you'd go Beatles. Because it was that kind of promotion, wasn't it? It was literally... Cliff Richard was, like, 58 with Move It, or 59 with Move It. The Beatles had their first, sort of, first top 20 hit in 62, 63. And then had Help was the first movie. No, it was Hard Day's Night in 64. He's very clean. He's very clean, Grandad. (laughs) (laughs) In 64. But I think, um, wasn't, like, Cliff Richard almost... Trying to compete with Elvis, not in terms he, of he was. He's often been compete. he's often been called the British but, Elvis, from a British yeah. but yeah, like, yeah he, he was nowhere near Elvis in quality of the, songs or no, films. Oh. But it, it was that he, he was British. I but will hold on to but it. But it's also that thing of when you see, I think Richard Gervais said it, it was so accurate. Every time you see Cliff Richard being interviewed, every remark is a boast. <laughs> so it's like um, it'd be like well of course yeah well I uh, ended up having more UK number ones than Elvis <laughs> <laughs> so it's like you can imagine Cliff Richard's ego making him want to overtake or Cl- replicate yeah. Elvis Cliff Richard had the movie career before Elvis because Elvis was in the army and Cliff yeah. did Expresso Bongo and the young ones before <laughs> I read about that yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's, was that with a helicopter was flying over his house trying to like fucking find out? That was yeah. mental, weren't it? Because <laughs> um, Elvis was in the army. So Cliff did two or three movies. And then Summer Holiday, I think, was, you know, about the time Elvis started making with his movies. Una Stubbs. Una Stubbs, yes. Oh, RIP. Yeah, Aunt Sally. Yes. Yeah. But he went to Germany. He was driving. He was over As many Germany. Americans do. Yeah. yeah. He, he was sent over to Germany, and yeah. that's where he met Priscilla in Germany. And she was like seven or something. I can't remember. It was like, she was there's very, a, there's she was a, very there's young. There's a trend emerging here. <laughs> I mean, no, she was, she was like 16. Or Got something like that. Yeah. It, it may have been. I don't know, but I'm, I'm sure she it was like. Have one of them days. One of them days. Why, why, why have we drifted here, haven't we? we well, you talk- mentioned what year did you say that Elvis might have been drafted into the army? Did you say 1959, per 59. chance? 59. Yeah. yeah. That'd be a good yeah. year, because they, they made some it, good movies yeah, that year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Name us some movies from 1959 Ooh. that isn't some like it hot. Oh. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I regret that segue, yeah. yeah. uh, um, Ben-Hur was one of them. Well, it won Best Picture, didn't it? Yeah. I think... But... Uh, we're here to talk about Some Like It Hot from 1959, directed by Billy Wilder, starring Tony Curtis, Marilyn Monroe, jo- John Lennon, I was just about to say, <laughs> Jack Lemmon. Imagine that. <laughs> Why are we reviewing this? Me. Because it was one that you weren't part of the original. No, no, I, I, I wasn't ago. invited. Um, many we're, years ago. We're just about to find out why. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's a film that I have liked 
since the first time I watched it as a little lad. Right. Strangely enough, don't think I've ever seen another Marilyn Monroe film. So, but stop but, it! It's the pair of you. But play, absolutely yeah, but... love this one. Rewind. Sorry, you both have never seen any other Marilyn Monroe right. film apart from this. Marilyn Correct. Monroe occupies the same sort of cultural status that Elvis does with me. Mm-hmm. Like so, I'm aware of their iconic nature, but my life was never like kind of. Surrounded by okay. Elvis and Marilyn Monroe, yeah. and I've right. seen clips of gentlemen prefer blondes and there's the famous itch. clip. Yeah. With, there's a famous clip from uh, the Seven Year Itch with the skirt. Yeah, and that. yeah. Like, that's, I didn't even yeah. realize until recently that that was actually from a particular movie. You saw like, promotional mm. sort yeah. of like yeah. yeah. But I can honestly say I've never watched uh, another of her films in entirety. Amazing. Well, right. I remember. <laughs> I remember like, <laughs> Thank as, you. Sorry, that wasn't being derogatory, but <laughs> no, no, it's, but it's, 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 yeah, I mean, they don't get much more famous than her. Yeah. But it's. I remember saying when we actually reviewed some like it originally that you were surprised about it, and it's like, oh yeah, I'll probably endeavour to go and watch another one of mm. the films. Never have. You've never gone. Never. <laughs> she. Okay. I. I was going to say. Although she was the big name from this film, I wouldn't say she was the reason it was so good. Okay, park that there. Let's take a short break. We'll be back after this. Trailer! 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 Not since Scarface, so much action. Not since the Marx Brothers, so much comedy. Not since the seven-year itch, so much Maryland. The best picture this year will also be the funniest. Good night, sugar. Good night, honey. There's one thing sure, boy never met girl like this before. You've never laughed more at sex, or a picture about it. You stay here as long as you like. Jack may have beaten Tony to the sugar, but not for long. You're not giving yourself a chance. Don't fight it. Sing the fabulous songs of the Roaring Twenties on the United Artists soundtrack album. Running wild, lost control. Running wild, mighty bold. Feeling gay, reckless too. Carefree mind all the time, never blue. Always going, don't know where. Always showing, I don't care. Don't love nobody. It's not worthwhile All alone Running wild 
Right. <laughs> Finished? Some Like It Hot, released in 1959, directed by Billy Wilder, starring Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis, Jack Lemmon, George Raff, Pat O'Brien, Joey Brown. The synopsis, according to IMDb, it's a bit thin, guys, this synopsis, as per usual. After two male musicians witness a mob hit, they flee the state in an all-female band disguised as women... But further complications set in. That's all you need to know going into it, I think. Yeah, it's vague but correct. Because it's a caper almost. It's a it's a, a, it's a farce. Jape. A jape. So <laughs> it's not really the. It's not about what the, happens during the sort of narrative of the film. It's mm-hmm. just the situations that arise from this concept that make it so brilliant. I think. Yeah. Paul said to me earlier, "This is the first time you've seen it." In about fifteen years, yeah, you've always said it's your one of your favourite movies, Definitely. but you haven't seen it, and there was bits of it you'd forgotten. Actually. I remembered all the dressing as women in the band, whatever. I'd forgot the mobster bit at the front of the film, which obviously sets the scene for why they're dressing as women. Totally not in my memory was that first sort of twenty minutes of the film. Very interesting opening as well. No dialogue for about three minutes. Yep. Yeah. And it's strange that in 59, it's, it's on that cusp of when films were black and white or colour. But this was conscientiously black and white. It, it was because... Yeah. Um, period. No, because they tried it in colour, but because of the makeup needed for Curtis and Lemon right. to look well, like it, women, I heard that it, and I it heard made them look really ghastly yeah. women. Yeah. So they had to keep it in black and white. And it was actually in Monroe's contract that she wanted it in colour. But every she, film she had to be in was supposed to be in colour. Yeah, but, but she receded that yeah. because of the fact that it made the two main characters so right. horrible to look at that they kept it in black and white. Well, I, I heard that and I heard that was the case, but also because, I mean, Billy Wilder likes black and white anyway, doesn't yeah. he? Do you know what I mean? That's his forte, really. Most of his, if not all of his classic films are. Oh, well, even after this, The Apartment's in black yeah, and white. Yeah, exactly. As well. Um but I think it was too pronged. I think it was that reason, and that was probably the chief reason. But he said, well, it's quite difficult to make a period film in 1959, so if we make it black and white, then it yeah. takes people back to that bygone era of the gangster yeah. Warner Brothers. Film. And like, that is running through this, evidently, that whole gangster theme, and there's stuff that Paul hasn't picked up on that we need to talk about, that there's throwbacks to the gangster era. Well, obviously, the, the first thing I picked up on was the fact that the gangster scene was Valentine's Day, 1929. Yeah. It was about bootlegging. The very first scene of them chasing the funeral car uh, was the fact that they'd shot it and there was alcohol leaking it's out. Right. It made me cry. So, so, <laughs> yeah. No, but what I'm talking about later on in the movie, we get references to classic gangster movies. Which you would never pick up this on movie. if you've never if you, seen yeah, right, okay. So we're, we're going to throw these at you as we review it as well, mate, because... They're Easter eggs almost, aren't almost, they? Almost, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's some stuff that if you've watched classic like 30s, 40s gangster movies and you go, bloody hell, that's a reference to... That Jimmy Cagney and, movie And Scott or told me about these when we originally reviewed it. Yeah. And I've since sort of Watched, dipped my toe in the Warner Brothers kind yeah. of stable. So, Charlie, is this the first time you've watched it since we reviewed it 
nine years ago, ten years ago? Uh, I've seen it once since. Yep. And then watched it. Like, that was an independent choice to watch it. And, so, yep. and I did watch it again. I believe it was on TV on a Saturday afternoon a couple of months ago. And I watched it again. Mm. And... Uh, it meant it was that recent that I didn't necessarily have to sit down and rewatch it specifically for, for this. So what I did is I sort of made more of an effort to look into the background of the film and the okay. making of and stuff like that because it was so fresh in the memory anyway. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Paul, as you you've always said this is one of your favourite films, but you haven't watched it for fifteen years. You watched it this morning, partly last night, <laughs> and partly Our, this morning. Each. No, 40 minutes last night, and I really wanted to watch the rest of it, but it was like getting on one o'clock, so I was like, I was like I'm, I'm too Sorry, old. Sorry, Keith Moon. <laughs> too old for this shit. Yeah. Um, I know you mean. But even the 40 minutes I watched last night, I was just so enjoying it. It was funny from the start, and it's not like laugh out loud funny. But it's so humorous that the writing of it is so good all the way through. It's immaculately written. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it's, it's just incredible the way that the humor is not only funny then when it was filmed, but it's funny now. It's not like really old cring- Really old job. It's thing. not like cringy and slapstick. There's little bits of slapstick later on. But it, it's just so amusing all the way through. And it's so beautifully written because it, it's just this charming rom-com. Mm. Uh, and, and it just simmers all the way through the film. I'm terribly sorry. It's okay, I was scared it was sweet Sue. You won't tell anybody, will you? Tell what? Well, if they catch me once more, they're gonna kick me out of the bank. You the replacement for the bass and sax? That's us, and I'm Daphne. Uh, this is uh, uh, Josephine. Hello. <laughs> I'm Sugar Cane. Hi. Sugar Cane? Yeah, I changed. I used to be Sugar Kowalczyk. You're Polish? Yes. I come from this musical family. My mother is a piano teacher, and my father was a conductor. Where did he conduct? On the Baltimore, Ohio. Oh. I play the ukulele, and I sing, too. Sings, too? <laughs> well, I don't have much of a voice, but then this isn't much of a band, either. I'm only with them because I'm running away. Running away from what? Oh, don't get me started on that. Here, you want some? It's bourbon. <laughs> I'll take a rain check. <laughs> I want you to think I'm a drinker. I can stop any time I want to, only I don't want to, especially when I'm blue. We understand. All the girls drink. It's just that I'm the one that gets caught. Story of my life. I always get the fuzzy end of the lollipop. My scene's straight. I'll say. <laughs> well, see you around, girl. Bye, sugar. <laughs> we have been playing with the wrong band. Sound, Daphne. How about the shape of that liquor cabinet? Huh? Forget it. One false move and they'll toss us off the train. Then there'll be the police, the papers, and the mob in Chicago. Boy, would I love to borrow a cup of that sugar. <laughs> no pastry, no butter, and no sugar. I think the running time is a really important point because I think they initially said that you can't have a 
like a film that's a farce that's two hours long that just exactly, doesn't happen yeah kind but, of a comedy that long yeah and and happen. it's that speaks volumes that it still works mm-hmm. it it extends the typical running time of that kind of film and it just like hits it out of the park really yeah it's it's, it's sort of unique for this period in time because it's quite groundbreaking wasn't it i read something today that this film is sort of reason to be the one that broke the Hayes Code almost. Oh, really? Because what happened, like, the Hayes Code was, was breaking down towards the end of the Yeah, 50s. of course, because it was... What, do you call, what did you call it? The uh, permiss- the per- Permissive? The Permissive Society kicked in, like, yeah. 1960 with, like, Lady Chatterley's Lover and all that sort of stuff, and the pill came in and everything like that. But towards the end of the 50s, you know, this code that was brought in specifically to govern, like, you know, the censorship of, like, movies was slightly relaxed. Yeah. And this film, because it was so hugely popular with the audience, things were let pass, basically, that the Hayes Code would have jumped on, you know, the you know, the cross-dressing, the misogyny, all the sort of stuff. Paul said to me earlier today, how sexist is this movie oh, when yeah. you look at it in today's eyes? Well, we, we made a point, I think, last time we reviewed it, that there's no lesson to be learned. You'd think that if this film was made now... And it would obviously be very different. Mm. But the two characters... Oh, there'd be some redemption at the fucking redem- end of they'd, it. They'd be like, they'd have this epiphany. It's like, maybe it's not okay to mm. kind of lech over women. Yeah. Yeah. But that never happens in yeah. the film. Yeah, because like, yeah. just- from the outset, as soon as they dress as women and they're on that train, the thing of they're looking down a carriage and they see all the women in, like, negligees and whatever... And they're just like, it's like Vic Grease rubbing his knees. It's Benny Hill carry on all yeah, fucking Sid James, together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that was of the time. We always was playing in the wrong band. Yeah. <laughs> and then you got the scene with Marilyn walking down the, the platform, and then like the, the smoke comes yeah. out of the, the side the train, of the train, yeah. and it's like fucking hell. Like that's actually quite on the nose, really. Yeah. like jello on springs. Must have some sort of built-in motor or something. I, I tell you, it's a whole different sex. And this is not me complaining about it because I think it's an anachronism and I think you've got to like look at a film based on when it was made. You can't yeah, judge it by modern ab- standards. Absolutely, yeah. But I, I kind of like the fact that it just it just doesn't give a toss. Like it yeah. just... The age in which it was made, it was exactly what people thought and exactly how men acted, exactly how yeah. women acted. I don't think it's that bad natured either. No. I think like there's a difference between something not being made now and it actually being that offensive. Yeah. I think it's so kind of precious. I mean, you get films. some films of that age that you look back on now and you might think, oh, that's a bit rapey. It's a bit... <laughs> One of my favourite uh, <laughs> yeah. adjectives. But you know what I mean? It's a bit like, oh, they're, they're being forced into this or they're being like sure overly they're, they're conscious probably, of it. I mean, you guys reviewed did a re-review of Sweet Smell of Success yeah I'm guessing that I, I can't remember exactly but I'm guessing there was stuff like that oh at like, the yeah. at the end there's a definite scene where she sets Tony Curtis mm. nice link um, up to the fact that he 
might have allegedly pressured himself on her. So yeah, that there is there's still that thing of that era where it's it's still brought up and it's still obviously extremely bad if it were to happen. But I mean this film is just purely about blokes looking at gorgeous women and going Really, I'd give that one sort of thing. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a 1950s Benny Hill movie. It is, yeah. But it's also it? only really offensive if you look at it from a very, very sensitive modern-day prison. Yeah. A very thin lens, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But also, yeah. it reverses that in the fact that it goes into the women's perspective. Yeah. Of, like... They've the, got a bit of agency. Yeah, yeah. they go to f- Miami and they want to pick up on these... Old there's, millionaires. There's some very strong female characters in this. Let's not forget this. It's yeah. not all from the male point of view. From the women's point of view, uh, Susie, I think her name is, the, yep. the lady that... The, sweet, 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 sweet Susie's Susie. band. Yeah. Talking of Eddie Izzard. Yeah. <laughs> sweet <laughs> Susie. Yes. Susie Izzard, better. Um, very strong character. When you get that scene that Marilyn Monroe meets... Tony Curtis on the beach where he's disguised himself as the shell. As Carrie yeah, Grant. Yeah, fucking brilliant, basically. <laughs> yeah. There's that little bit where Carrie Grant is living this lie, basically. Oh, God, Carrie, I'm saying Carrie Grant. <laughs> no, Carrie Grant took umbrage to it as well. Did he? Billy Wilder showed him the film on purpose, even though it was Tony Curtis's idea, mm. because he didn't have to change his voice, because obviously... Yeah, he could Sugar have just spoke. Yeah. She wouldn't have known what his, his yeah. male voice would have been like anyway. But, um, yeah, Billy Wilder showed it to Cary Grant, and he's like, I don't talk like that. <laughs> <laughs> it just makes it so oh, much yes, better. Oh, yes, you do. But there's a few, there are a few things with this film that are a bit like apocryphal. Did that happen? Did it not happen? Okay, and I think you know what yeah. I'm getting at, but we'll yeah. probably go on to that later on. Yeah, but what I was going to say was that scene at the beach where... He's first put on the sailor's cap, the glasses, the... I'd know. love to walk around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cravat. Yeah. And he's living this lie that I am this heir of a millionaire. <laughs> it's you know, the fact that he, I collect shelves. But well, one looks a, like this, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> the name of my company. So you, said, <laughs> yeah. you said earlier that you didn't really find it laugh out loud funny, but to me that was another example yeah. where yeah. I did actually belly you laugh watching the film. Right. There's a bit... Where Marilyn's like bouncing between the the ball game and going back to him because she's like obviously attracted to him, and she plays the game against him as well, and she's lying as much as he is mm. because she says I was part of the whatever it was uh, conservatory that he said that him and Jack Lemon were. And she says, oh, my father lets me... You know, it's all this thing that she was making herself out to be something that she wasn't. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. My fault. You're not hurt, are you? I don't think so. I wish you'd make sure. Why? Because usually when people find out who I am, they get themselves a wheelchair, a shyster lawyer, and sue me for three quarters of a million dollars. Don't worry, I won't sue you no matter who you are. Thank you. Who are you? No, really. Sugar! Come on! Honestly. Cheerio. Haven't I seen you somewhere before? Not very likely. You staying at the hotel? Not at all. The face is familiar. Possible you've seen it in the newspapers or magazines, um, Vanity Fair. That must be it. 
Would you mind moving just a little, please? You're blocking my view. Your view of what? They run up a red and white flag on the yacht when it's time for cocktail. You own a yacht? Which one is it? The big one? Certainly not. With all the unrest in the world, I don't think anybody should have a yacht that sleeps more than 12. I quite agree. Tell me, who runs up that flag? Your wife? No, my flags do it. Who mixes the cocktails? Your wife? No, my cocktails do it. Look, if you're interested in whether I am married or not... Oh, I'm not interested at all. Well, I'm not. That's very interesting. How's the stock market? Up, up, up. I bet while we were talking you made like $100,000. Could be. Uh, you play the market? No, the ukulele. And I sing, too. For your own amusement? A bunch of us girls are appearing at the hotel. Sweet Sue and her society syncopators. Oh, your society girl. Oh, yes, quite. You know, Bryn Moore, Vassar. We're just doing this for a lark. Syncopators. Does that mean you play that very fast music, uh, jazz? Yeah, real hot. <laughs> oh, well, I guess some like it hot. I personally prefer classical music. Oh, I do, too. As a matter of fact, I spent three years at the Sheboygan Conservatory of Music. Good school. And your family doesn't object to your career. They do indeed. Daddy threatened to cut me off without a cent. But I don't care. It was such a bore, you know, coming out parties. Inauguration balls. Opening of the opera. Riding to hound. And always the same 400. You know, it's amazing we never ran into each other before. I'm sure I would have remembered anybody as attractive as you are. You're very kind. Mm. I bet you're also gentle and helpless. I beg your pardon. You see, I have this theory about men who wear glasses. What theory? I'll tell you when I get to know you better. <laughs> what are you doing tonight? Tonight? I thought maybe you could come to the hotel and hear us play. Uh, I would like to, but that would be rather difficult. Why? Uh, I only come ashore twice a day when the tide goes out. And it's almost like is... Shakespearean Right, drama. thank you. Because that is where I was going to go next. This whole thing is a Shakespearean fucking comedy because yeah. it's all about subterfuge, cross dressing, misdirection, and all of that sort of stuff. That Being mendacious. <laughs> well done, sir. <laughs> My leash. Anyone got a dictionary? <laughs> it is almost fucking. I was going to say, it's, it's almost Shakespearean. It's got that kind of uh, Twelfth Night, Midsummer Night stream. Perfect. chaotic sort of thing to it yep. where it's, it moves at this like really rapid tempo and it's laugh a minute and yeah. it never really comes up for air it just continues yeah. at that speed that, that's what I did find about it it's like there's no bit in it that really lulls the, the you said it simmers yeah it absolutely, it, simmers. It, absolutely from the start there's the humour of them like escaping the uh, monsters and everything but as soon as they're in with a female band, there's humour all the way through. And and I didn't... A two-hour film, you really expect a few dead moments in it where the, there's no... Not so much dialogue and not so much humour, but it never really got to that. Absolutely. And um, Billy Wilder, they reckon, actually directed it as if he was cutting the film as they were... Filming, so he'd cut the scene where he was visualizing what he would have cut it in yeah. the editing kind of studio. I, I can imagine that the full scope of this was probably two and a half to three hours. They only cut out 60 seconds. Re no, 
60 seconds that they didn't actually include. That is and there was, so there was well written. Up, there was one other scene as well where uh, I think Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon in their, their uh, kind of disguises, for want of a better description, they end up nearly sort of coming to blows and he says, oh, you wouldn't hit a woman, would you? <laughs> so even a nice... Yeah, even that's like that, amusing, cut, yeah. yeah. Um, but apparently from the final edit to... I'm not well, sure of the technicalities, but apparently cut very little. The the writing on that is just superb, then. Billy because, Wilder, mate. Yeah. But saying that that bit was like precise and like a supreme bit of like film. It's notorious for the amount of takes, that, which is the irony. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, um, what I mean is not like what didn't. Obviously, lots of bloopers and and uh, things that went wrong. Yeah. But in terms of things that went right and were filmed. Very, very little of it was not actually included in yeah. the final cut. Because Billy Wilder has this kind of hands on, I'm going to try and edit as I am filming, rather yeah. than mm. having loads of superfluous so, content. So just to nick a bit from uh, the internet, uh, there were many problems with Marilyn Monroe, who lacked concentration and suffered from an addiction to pills. She was constantly late to set and could not memorise many of her lines, averaging 35 to 40 takes for a single line. The line, it's me, sugar, <laughs> took 47 takes. Can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine how frustrating that is? Not just John... the fact that it's happening, but it's Marilyn Monroe, so you can't ever go at her. No, like, you can't. John Houston would have fucking shot her. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Chinatown. <laughs> but I, I think but it, the problem with this is that they really had their hands tied. Certainly Wilder did, because I think originally he had, Curtis on board he really wanted Jack Lemon, and Jack mm, Lemon well, really wanted to do it before Jack Lemon, oh, they no, wanted Frank Sinatra Frank Sinatra yeah. well I think the studio yes. wanted him to yeah for, oh, for oh, the oh. bigger name because they wanted big names for this because they never thought to start with they'd get Monroe on board and I think that was it that gave that gave Wilder the leverage when they got Monroe on board so it's like well we've got her we've got this icon so you can have Lemon because we're not needing his role to be fulfilled by a superstar now. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and Jack Lemmon was... And yet he was the one that got uh, nominated for many awards. Yeah. Tony Curtis got hardly nominated See, for anything. It's a shame because I think they're both equally brilliant. Mm. Absolutely. But I think what happened was that Lemon said, like, I'm definitely going to do it. He's like, well, you haven't read the script. He said, well, yeah, it's Billy Wilder. And not only that, if I accept it now... He's therefore then going to write the script with me in mind, so it'll be and, even better. And Lemon worked with him for many years afterwards. I mean, the apartment's yeah. incredible yeah. and all, isn't it? It came to me first, Billy Wilder. I was we used to we used to run screenings at Harold Mercer's house, and I remember one day Harold Mercer said to me, "Come by a little earlier, Tony. Uh, Billy wants to talk to you." So I went by a little early, and Billy took me to a little room, and he said, "Tony, I'm going to make a movie." where two musicians see a murder and they have to dress up as women to escape in a girls' band. I think they started thinking about casting very early because of pictures and cast properly, you can't make it. It's one of those in which there wasn't possible to make too much of a substitution. Uh, they had uh, Tony Curtis uh, first. Uh, Billy very much wanted to use Jack as the other actor, but he felt that if he couldn't use Jack, Tony could play either part. So Tony was signed originally. Then the people with the money decided that Jack 
was not a big enough star at this point, and they wanted him to use Sinatra. He said he was going to get Frank Sinatra to play one part and Mitzi Gaynor to play the other. After about a week, he called me in again and said he wasn't going to do that because he felt Frank Sinatra would be too much trouble. Billy made a date with Sinatra for lunch to discuss it with him, and Sinatra didn't show up. And at about the same time, or shortly thereafter, Billy heard from Marilyn, who said she would like to work with him again. And he said, OK. And once you have Marilyn and Tony, Jack is now a big enough star. He said, if you take the part, you're going to be in drag for 85% of the picture. Do you want to do it? I thought for about two split seconds, and then I said yes. And he says, OK, I'll send you a script sometime. And I said, OK, thanks very much. And we said good night. And we got outside, and Felicia immediately said, why did you say yes without a script? And I said, because it's Billy Wilder. That's why. He Now he knows that I'm going to play that part. He'll write the part with me in mind. Going back to how difficult Monroe was, Billy Wilder spoke in 1959 about making another film with Monroe. He said, I've discussed this with my doctor and my psychiatrist, and they tell me I'm too old and too rich to go through this again. <laughs> That's mad. <laughs> they, they said he was particularly stressed, and it is that thing of, like, you've got one of the biggest stars on the planet, if not the biggest female star on the planet, oh, Jesus, and she's, she's, time, yeah. she's getting the lines, simple lines wrong. But How, you how can you get a three-word line wrong 47 times i'm guessing it's the same as corpsing you know like yeah, you're still but, laughing even though nothing yeah, funny is happening like, Monroe was pregnant at the time she'd had two miscarriages and she seriously thought this was her last chance to have a child she was with arthur miller at yeah, the time yeah, she yeah. Was married to arthur miller and she was high as a kite on prescription medication it was the, it's, it's the classic period of Marilyn when she was medicated up to the eyeballs. And she lost the child in the December of 59. She had a third miscarriage. It was the last one. Um, and this is the reasoning they put behind what what happened, why she was so scatty, so like disorientated with actually learning her lines. I find that really... Surprising because there are scenes of genuine brilliance from her as well. Do you know what the the things I admire most in this film are the musical numbers and the the comical bits from her in yeah, this. Yeah, but they add to it. They're not just like filler, are they? For me, this is typical Marilyn Monroe. Paul has never seen any other. Hang on, sorry, both of you have yeah, never yeah. seen any other nope. Marilyn. So I've seen clips of um, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Um, oh. and a few others, but I've never seen a whole film. I think she's one of these cultural icons who I just assume is going to be playing the same character in every single film. She, she is that ditzy blonde. Why? Why do, why do you both no, think I'm not. That? I'm not saying that's correct, but that is my perception of her, yeah. so I never, feel, I never felt the compulsion to say, I must see that, because, you know, this is her playing this role. But you told me earlier about a role that she plays that's really quite... Don't bother to knock. Disturbing. I think it's her deepest, darkest role. Other than her real life, really. It, it, 
exactly. I think people get embroiled so much in what her real life was. And, and the iconography of yeah, her as well. That they don't go back and look at the acting capabilities of the woman. I think what we need to get away from is the fact that most people um, of a certain age will see this as a Monroe film. And yes, it had Marilyn Monroe as one of the leading cast, but I don't see it as that. Thank you. Do you see this as a Marilyn Monroe? No, film? but I don't. But I think that's how the film would have yeah. been marketed. I think that's how yeah. you know they weren't going to be using Jack Lemmon to market it at that but point in time. Curtis I mean, was probably used at the time because yeah. Curtis was the biggest, like, prettiest Hollywood boy at the time. Yeah, but if you take Monroe out of it and put in another female in that role, it still would have been a fucking brilliant film. Yes, absolutely. And they might have saved a bit of time filming and all with the amount of time. (laughs) Obviously, yeah. I look at it like, you know how, like, with Pulp Fiction, like, Uma Thurman is, like, the face of the film and all the posters. She's not the protagonist. She just happens to be the conduit for them to market it because she's, like, cool. And she's it's like saying Pulp Fiction was a Bruce Willis film. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not, is it? It's, it's just a, a portion of it. She's incredibly important to the film, but the film doesn't um, live and die on her performance. Mm. And I think, yeah, as you say, Some Like It Art is like that. It was advertised with her as like the main bit of the advertising. They'd been mugs they'd have been mugs too, wouldn't they? Who I was? still think it would have been a very successful film without her. Probably not as successful. Mm. Um but I mean when you look at the amount of money it made, it cost two point nine million. Which is okay. quite extravagant shitload of money in nineteen fifty nine. Right. It says here box office 49 million but if if you scroll down to date it has made over 88 million yeah like for a three million less than three million output incredible that's a good return isn't it yeah (laughs) that's incredible i saw something in a making of documentary that said despite its success it's absolute classic status was never solidified till much later so oh, yeah that there was a lot of uh scott and i were talking earlier about the fact that the lgbtq community at the time um were very wary of the fact that it involved men cross-dressing which had no uh sort of conscious at the time because it wasn't men trying to be women for any other reason other than to escape mobsters. yeah but obviously <laughs> at, as time goes on and you get into a certain snowflake community oh, political <laughs> um we have a tory in then people who weren't even born when the film was made start to complain about the fact that it, it doesn't portray people as they should have been portrayed. It's anachronistic. It's like you can't mm. judge something from the past by modern standards. And yeah. the, the idea that there would have even been like this vocal LGBTQ plus community in 1959 is nonsense because <laughs> homosexuality, I'm pretty sure it would have been the case in America, but homosexuality would have been illegal for another yes. eight years in this country. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, uh, again. The, the only tiny bit you might get of classed as homosexuality was when Tony Curtis kisses Marilyn Monroe when he's still playing 
the female part, also, Josephine. Jack, Jack Lemmon being delighted to be engaged. Yeah, yeah, but no, but, I mean, that's just talk. Yeah, yeah. The, the only oh, like physical yeah, bit yeah, yeah. is when Josephine kisses Sugar uh, right near the end. So, so it was... <laughs> Was it wasn't it banned in Kansas or somewhere that like somewhere in the Bible Belt or something like? And it was banned for like thirty, forty years. Yeah, something after. And, wow. and it, it it's crazy. And I mean, even people in the I think it's called the alphabet community now, the LGBTQ plus. Careful. No, no, that's what it's called. It's called the <laughs> alphabet community. Yeah. Um, oh, that's Sesame Street fucking But even <laughs> even they will admit that this was made 60, 70 years ago. Yeah, now. and also just because it, so, just, just because someone from that community comes out and slags it doesn't mean that that's representative of how, yeah. how all gay people feel yeah. about something like it. And I mean these two men didn't dress as women because they felt like they needed to dress as, as women. But as we said, like, it harks back to Shakespeare. It's yeah. a long-standing tradition yeah. in, in dramatic kind of... That's what I mean. Um, it, yeah. Don't hark on that side of things, mate. It was, it's, this is a fucking great it is. comedy. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, it was made in 1959. It was made in black and white, which, as you said to people, people might feel a bit difficult about it being black and white. I think it worked perfectly in black and white. Yes. Wilder's films always look really sumptuous, whether they're black and white or not, and what mm. they usually are. We mentioned The Apartment earlier, which is yeah. after this, also in black and white, and it's got some of the greatest shots I've ever seen mm. in yeah. a film. So the black and white thing is, it can be limiting, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, I, I tell you, from doing this podcast and watching films that I wouldn't necessarily watch and a lot of them have been black and white I have come to realise that it really doesn't matter whether it's colour or black and white if the movie has got a good Michael Jackson a a good plot (laughs) and great (laughs) actors and the integral scenes are there that it doesn't matter. I think there's this like modern day kind of petulant thing, or for certain mentalities, like oh, I'm not watching that. It's in black and white. Mm. It's just, it's similar to like when people say, oh, I'm not watching that. It's subtitles. It's I, like and I, the film by. I used to have both of those outlooks. Yeah, Paul. What I want to know is for somebody that has watched this movie for the first time in about what did you say, fifteen? It's, it's got to be fifteen years. Yeah. But you've always said it's like one of your favourite movies. So. You've had this big gap and you've watched it again at literally this morning. Good preparation, that, isn't it? Like, professional. Yeah. Yeah. But on the flyer. <laughs> no, not worried about that. But for somebody that hasn't seen a, a movie for, like, so long, but you know in the back of your mind you've loved this movie mm. or remembered this movie, whatever I, it may be. I was very trepidatious about watching this. Be- Why? Because I knew in my mind that I loved it as a great movie but I hadn't seen it for so long I was worried that I'd sit down and go oh do you know what this isn't that great <laughs> after <shit>. all <laughs> but I think I think that's one of the defining things about this film that everyone says nothing has been lost between now and 1959 no. I sat down and within two minutes I was laughing and 
within... No one's even said a word at that point. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> people just shooting guns, you <laughs> maniac. <laughs> within 20, 30 minutes, I was so relaxed into it. It was just so humorous all the way through. One of the easiest films I've ever sort of been able to sort of just yeah. get into, really. I, I would... Well, I would be troubled to understand anyone that watches this and doesn't find doesn't it amusing. Like it. Uh, yeah, doesn't. I mean, I'm not saying everyone should love it. That's their own opinion. But anyone that doesn't find this amusing, I would or charming. I would challenge least, yeah. their sense of humour. From your point of view, Charlie, that we watched this. I don't know, eight, nine years. Yeah, ago. I can't think how long. I mean, we did. I remember the episodes. I went back to it. We did the Dead Zone and Leon on the same. It might be a fairly early episode. Yeah, Um, episode twenty-two. If you're probably right, I'm I'm going to look back. Episode twenty-two. It's got to be second or third year. Yeah, sure. And you said you watched it once since, and then, well, once consciously, like without any kind of prompt podcasting, and then. (laughs) It was on TV. Yeah. So I always think that's different to see, like, setting up to watch a film because you want to revisit it. And oh, that's on TV. I'd have some, yeah. of, that. I'd have some of that. Yeah. yeah. Or you, so you just flicking through the channels to go, right, I'm going to stick on that. Do you know what? I would have done that even if it was halfway through. But thankfully, yeah. I yeah. caught it. It was like a Saturday when there was no football. Yeah. And I just thought, yeah, I'm definitely having some of that. And it meant it was that recent. I think the BBC was showing it last couple of months. I didn't need to watch it again for like the minutiae of the film. Mm. But what I did want to look at in terms of those specifics was researching the making of and mm-hmm. how it came to be. And um, like I said, if this were on TV tonight, when I go home, I'd sit and watch it. Yeah, yeah. That's it, mental. It, it is one of those films that, whether it be 10 minutes through or 30 minutes through, if you flick through and you see it's on, you're going to sit there and watch some of it. I think as well you could, without... Like having the context of the opening sort of 20 minutes, you could still quite quickly establish what was going on. Yeah. Because of the farcical nature of it. Mm. And the, the the jokes are that great, the, the writing is that immaculate that even if you weren't really sure what was happening in the story, you'd still be laughing. Joyous. For me, the quality of this movie is one of sort of five or six movies that I will watch. Every single Christmas. That's interesting because there's nothing that there's nothing Christmassy, Christmassy about, about no. it. And I explained this before when I was a teenager, young teenager, like watching movies yeah, before and tro- TV. Yeah. When I was a teenager, <laughs> can we get green sleeves playing in the background? <laughs> get the Hovey sad book. <laughs> when I was trying to work out what my Film loves were you know I was trying to work out what classic movies meant to me and yeah. trying to find classic movies that were you know people say oh you got to watch this you got to watch that back in the early eighties you know Casablanca bang came on mum said oh you got to watch that so I watched that you watched Wizard of Oz or whatever you know. the first time I watched Some Like It Hot was about halfway through and it was at the beach scene what. Okay, well, and he's sitting in the chair. And it was all that. Doing so, his Tony yeah. Cur- he's doing his... <laughs> not Harry Tony Gar- Curtis Gar- impression. Do, 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 do. <laughs> so, and, and that was the first time I saw the movie. I saw it halfway through. Mm. So I've got... 
this is great. Hang on, what's, what's this? This is a bit bizarre because prior to that, I'd, I'd found um, North by Northwest with Cary Grant. So nice. yeah, thinking, same year. And I'm thinking, hello, he's doing Cary Grant here, mm. you know. I thought this is great, and I watched it all the way through. But back then, as Paul will vouch, I'd have to wait a year, eighteen months, for it to be shown on. TV oh, yeah. my generation. Look at look that. at look at Charlie's yeah. disgust on No, me. no, not disgust. <laughs> I was gonna say like my generation don't realise how fortunate we are yeah. that um whether you know you acquire a film legally or not, yeah. that it is if you have a Wi Fi if you have a broadband connection you have pretty much got the world of cinema at your fingertips. <laughs> yeah. Let alone if you've got one of them moody fire sticks or... <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. It was. It would have been a genuine treat for people of a certain yeah. era to yeah. have a film televised because it was probably your only way of acquiring uh, And I mean, se- 70s films in the 80s, sometimes it was five years before you actually saw it come to Absolutely. TV. Well, I believe you had to wait long enough between... Like a US and a UK release date. As yeah. well. Oh, abs- yeah. that as well. Yeah. 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 You were telling me about something called Videodrome, or, or like a, <laughs> it was like a particular thing on TV where they would curate like these. Oh, uh, there was Alex mm. Cox that used to like um, show particular cult movies, but... and you'd look forward to it as opposed to right, okay, I'll just go on the EPG and just. Select that, that would never now. happen. No, no, yeah. no. Yeah, the Sunday evening with Alex yeah. Cox was a gem, you know. Yeah. Um, but with this particular movie, the first time I saw it, I the, I caught it 25, 30 minutes in the the bit where they're on the beach, and I thought, what's this? You know, and it was Boxing Day, early eighties. How, how aware of um, Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon were you? Was Tony it... Curtis to me was the persuaders. You know, he was like a big TV with star. Roger Moore. Yeah, he wasn't like a. So it wasn't like a weird thing seeing. You think, oh, what's he doing dressed like that? That's that's of... a, oh, that's a young Tony Curtis. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and I watched the movie and I thought, oh god, that was brilliant. I watched it all the way through, but I had to wait another eighteen months. That's incredible. To yeah. Think now. By today's standards, and I watch it. But, but the thing was, when I watched the movie, it starts off with this gangster plot. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's very misleading. Yeah. So I'm watching this completely different movie. It's got like George Raft and all these gangsters yeah, going. I'm thinking, hang on, this is not the movie that I saw right, a yeah. year ago. Because there have been like comedy films with mafia elements, but mm-hmm. they're they're kind of sent up a bit. Yeah. Whereas actually the tone at the beginning of this film is very solemn and very kind of menacing. Like it's not like Well it's it's made to be like one of the classic Warner Brothers exactly. gangsters movies. Yeah. And this is what I was gonna to say to Paul earlier. Paul must have missed a lot of like gangster references from the earlier movies. Um George Roth flipping the coin. George Roth flipping the coin. I, I did see that, yeah. Right. I didn't get it. Right. That refers to like George Roth's like signature, wasn't it? He used to like flip the coin. Certainly in Scarface. Yeah. Like the original Scarface. And he right. said, that's a good thing. Does he say it's a it's good, good trick? Where'd you learn Where'd that Where'd you yeah. learn that yeah. from, yeah, yeah. George Ralph picks up the grapefruit and he goes to put it in the Jeez. guy's face. Is it White Heat or Angels with Dirty Faces or yeah, something? Yeah, it's like, one of those early... You've got Pat O'Brien and all, haven't yeah. you? Yeah, because Pat O'Brien is the cop. Yeah. Is always the cop in the old gangster yeah. movies. It's a bit like what Tarantino does now, actually. So, like, for example, in Django Unchained, when they go to Candyland, like, mm. uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's, like, 
plantation, mm. when they go into like the the rumpus room or whatever it is, or the bar, at the bar is the guy who played mm. cowboy called Django. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah Frank O'Neill. Frank O'Neill, yeah, and he, O'Neil, he says to him, "Oh." Uh, What's your name? It's like Django. It's like, yeah. do you know how to spell it? It's that little kind of <laughs> nod to it, which is actually quite very weird if you don't yeah. know what that... Almost patronising. The guy that of. jumps out the cake yeah. and shoots spats in this yeah. movie. And, and shoots everything else because right. the way his aim was fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Edward G. Robinson's son. Yeah. Really? Yeah, Edward G. Robinson Jr. Yeah. Also responsible, or it leads on to my favourite line of the film. When uh, I think Pat O'Brien comes in and they say something in the cake disagreed with him. (laughs) (laughs) She, she, she. Strangely (laughs) enough, saying about favourite line in the film. I mean, the last line in the film Mm. is like one of the often voted the top ten ways to end a film. And mad, Uh, what's mad is that Billy Wilder said we weren't that we weren't that keen on it, but we had to end it. They they said nobody's perfect, and they went right, okay. We'll leave that and we'll try and write a better line. Yeah. And no one could cut with come up with something that seems better. And and it is. It's like it's like, oh he's making up all his excuses why he can't marry this guy yeah. or be with him. It's great. Uh, and it's like, I'm a man, takes off his wig. Oh, nobody's perfect. <laughs> and and one of the great things about the way they approached the film, I think Wilder and Lemon said, We're not gonna we're going to start filming it without having finished the script so yeah. that we've got things to do at the end of the day and we keep it fresh. So it just added a little bit of sharpness to the film. It meant that this yeah. this script hadn't been stagnating for a certain amount of time. Yeah, it just it, had a, I, I find something like that makes the film more natural. But if, you have to be of the talent of someone like yeah, Rondo in order to it, do if that. If you haven't scripted every single word of every mm. single line, then... It makes for a better film because people just interject with their little sort of ad libs or something. And the and actors aren't fatigued by a script yeah. that they've been used to for months and months. No, no, fatigued by Marilyn Monroe not getting her oh. <laughs> scenes right. <laughs> Sugar, it's me. <laughs> How could you get that wrong? It's, it's pathological, though, isn't it? It's like yeah. the more you probably try not to get it wrong and, and yeah. you off your tits. Or and, and as I said to Scott earlier, it's like because of her repeated. Well, failure to get lines right. The the scene on the beach with Tony Curtis sitting in the chair, they allowed three days to get that take right because there was complicated lines in it. And it took, Scott... 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Mad, didn't it? Yeah. But there was also this kind of culture on the set where... Like we let her do her thing, like they would be sitting around for two hours waiting for her to be ready for a take. Yeah. And, that. and again, it goes back to that thing of this is Marilyn Monroe. You do not tell her what to do. Oh, and if, if we've not got her, this film doesn't really get made. Um, yeah, and that's it. As as I said earlier, this would have been a brilliant film with whoever played that character. It wouldn't have got the iconic status. I don't think. No. Um, it would have still been a really good film, but because of Marilyn Monroe, and she had such little output in her lifetime that it makes people even more kind of obsessed yeah. with these yeah. particular projects. It's not like it's a bit like the James Dean kind of. Yeah, thing where it's, got, yeah. it's like Nirvana being yeah. like reviewed for how brilliant they were, snuffed and, out, but snuffed uh, out in your prime. Yeah, and it was like 
Yeah. By, your, by your ex-wife. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> a bit like a shotgun wedding. Yeah, hey. oh. <laughs> He's shooting his mouth off now. <laughs> and... Never mind. Oh. And on that note, let's take a short break. We'll be back after this. I want to be loved by you, just you. Nobody else but you I want to be loved by you Alone Boop, boop, be doo I want to be kissed by you Just you Nobody else but you I want to be kissed by you Alone I couldn't aspire To anything to fill the desire to make you my own I want to be loved by you, just you Nobody else but you I want to be loved by you to entertainment, you can't beat a good film. So let's take a look at what's coming your way. Right, so up next is Charlie's choice for what film we're going to re- review 
for the birthday celebrations. Personal favourite of mine. I'm really hoping that you haven't seen it before to get a fresh perspective. You'll be pleased to know it's only 90 minutes long. That's good. Always good. 2004. Oh. by Shane Meadows, starring Paddy Considine. Dead Man Shoes. Never heard of it. Charlie. So I definitely, definitely haven't seen it. I cannot wait. But I like the fact that it's 90 minutes long because my attention span is shit. (laughs) (laughs) What's it about? Um, It's going to it blind, definitely. You're aware of Shane Meadows, who's sort of like the director of This Is England. Oh, oh, that person. Yeah, I love This Is England. Have that in mind. Have that in mind that this is probably going to be like quite gritty and working class. Mm. But it will be so beneficial to you if you go into this without remotely researching anything about the plot. It is it's a I think it's a phenomenal film and I, I really love introducing this film to people. No, it sounds really interesting. They, um can I just say Charlie, a fucking perfect choice. Jeez, mate. And was this one of your early ones? Uh, Not early, mid range, I think. It was yeah. to the point where we were doing the recordings over Skype at one stage. Mm. So like well before lockdown and stuff. Yeah. But it was when we were putting out quite a lot of content and it was just more kind of um sensible to you know, we record online and yeah. you can get No, up. no, I, it it sounds interesting and um never seen it so uh, looking forward to it it's on film 4 quite a lot actually I, um, I do like a lot of the film 4 films where they they are all gritty they're yeah. all of substance they're yeah. They, they didn't muck about. That's certainly an accurate gonna description. Get You're going to get this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm delighted with that. Like, because I think if you had seen it before, it would have been fine. But this is a film you want someone's take on when they've witnessed it for the very, very um, first viewing. For me, I mean, my second. Nice. Oh, so you only watched it for the show yeah. last time? So oh, that's I, good. I had the first reaction. So like eight, nine years since you've seen it as yeah. well, then. So, this has been the Stinking Paws podcast. I've been Scott, he's been Paul, he's been Charles. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Can. See you later. See you later. Laters. The management of this theater suggests that for the greater entertainment of your friends who have not yet seen the picture, you will not divulge to anyone the secret of the ending. You dudes get lost now, you hear? Good night, ladies. Good night, sir. When you fail down, try positive thinking. That's what I told the man said. Don't wear a frown. Try positive thinking. Laugh at your troubles instead. You've got to look on the bright side. On hope so much depends. With your confidence sinking, positive thinking helps you on the way, my friend. When things look black, try positive thinking. Treat every season as spring. No glancing back, try 
positive thinking, trust what tomorrow may bring. This crazy world that we live in will keep on spinning round. But with good, strong, positive thinking, we'll get together and life won't let us down. Shut up, you ugly bitch. Oh, shut up, we enjoy it.